Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Uh, you are now tuned into anything potable, the most honorable, the most audible. Hold the applause. Like Paul Pierce when he was fresh out the hospital. Like Antoine when he shimmied after shots went through. So tell me Welcome why you're mad, to Anything is Potable! The Boston Celtics podcast here on the Athletic Podcast Network. I am your host, Sam J.M. Packard, professional sports fan. And I am joined, as always, by the kid, the god, the legend himself, Celtics beat reporter from TheAthletic.com, Jay King, ladies and gentlemen. And we are coming to you... On a Wednesday afternoon, after a rather wild, I was going to say wild 48 hours in Los Angeles for the Celtics, but really the first game wasn't that wild. But the the game against the Los Angeles Lakers where the Celtics have an absolute collapse and then come back to win in overtime. Jay, I'm about to engage in what uh, some would call intellectual dishonesty. Uh, on Saturday after the loss to the Warriors, I would say one game doesn't matter. You can't oh, get high, can't get but, too low. But now you're too high. Now I'm a little bit too high because I think it would have been bad if the Celtics had lost a game in Golden State, lost the game against the Clippers, and then just absolutely cla- collapsed and given up a horrible uh, just – a giant fourth quarter lead and just giving that up to a Los Angeles Lakers team that is not very good. And so I think the fact that they were able to turn that around is a good sign. And I'm going to be intellectually dishonest and I'm going to say that one game did matter uh, a little bit more than a, a normal regular season win would. Which part made it matter more because they collapsed and then had to save themselves? The fact that they were able to save themselves matters more. The collapse is still uh, quite concerning, uh, given the fact that the the Lakers went on what a thirty-one to five run. I think it was like a, a forty-one to nine run. Forty-four the, to twelve. Might have been forty-one to nine. I think um, <clears throat> just the the collapse was was not great, but the being able to pull out a victory there. I think uh, is generally a, a good sign of mental toughness that um, obviously the collapse is bad, but being able to pull out a win when you've just given up an atrocious and just played an atrocious, what, 18 minutes of basketball, I think is generally a, a good thing. What an insane game. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely banana land. I've, I, I've covered a lot of games and I don't think I've ever covered one like that where one team was totally dead and then the other team was totally dead and then the second team to die won (laughs) it was just bonkers to be down 13 with 351 left and win is crazy to be up 20 and fall behind by 13 is crazy (laughs) And to do it all against a very average, at best, Lakers team uh, in the game six of a road trip, it was just wild. Uh, you could tell, to to in your defense of celebrating a win over a very shitty team, um, you the Celtics players seem to agree that it was important to get that win after two straight losses um after an utter collapse <laughs> to to salvage that last game of the road trip meant a lot to them and and Joe Mazzulla seemed to really appreciate it he likes finding new ways to win um he's a big finding new ways to win guy i thought it was hilarious 
when uh, they showed him mic'd up. And almost always when coaches are mic'd up, like you don't get any insight into actual basketball stuff. But he, in his, in a very like laid back, non-swearing way, he was like, "You fucking assholes!" <laughs> like all, all they can do is score layups and score in transition, and you guys are just letting them do the only fucking things they can do. Uh, that cracked me up, and it was. It was a window into how he felt at the moment. Like, kind of like, what the hell are you guys doing out there? Like, this team stinks compared to us, and you're just letting them thrive. Yeah, and like, what? Let's let's dive into the collapse. What the hell happened out there? Because they got out to this huge 19 point lead, and then all of a sudden, they just stopped being able to make baskets. The turnovers um, went up. The kind of the great ball movement that we saw in the first half and have seen like for the majority of the season went away. And so a lot of the same struggles that happened for them in the Warriors game, it I think there is a bit of concern that they can have just moments where the offense is absolutely awful. But I just I don't know exactly what went on there at the end of that third quarter that just basically made it so they nothing stopped good. scoring. Nothing no, good. Nothing good. It was a lot of, um, I mean, I do think not having Al Horford or Rob Williams, it's just like caught up to them. Like having Blake Griffin on the court, he's been okay, but he's really just a non-entity. And I guess credit to him for at some moments deciding not to shoot the ball. He did shoot a a number of threes because they were leaving him wide open. And so I do think there, when they played some of their bench lineups or, or when Blake was in the game, it did make their offense a little bit more stagnant, but still they, they had a lot of success with Blake in the game in the first half. It just felt like they, the ball movement, the cutting was all gone in there in, in that late third quarter, earlier fourth, fourth quarter. And it's just, I wasn't sure if it was something that the Lakers were doing or the Celtics just got tired, got in their own heads or, um, but the play, the offense just was, was terrible during that stretch. Yeah, they just kind of stopped playing. <laughs> they just just kind of gave up. They thought they were going to just roll to a win, I think. And it was, like I said, that that was – I'm not sure how many six-game road trips the Celtics have had while I've been covering the team, but it's not many. Like, six-game road trips are very long. Uh, and this one was like Brooklyn, Toronto, then to the West Coast couple of back-to-backs in there. Uh, so it was a long road trip, definitely a grueling road trip. Um, Blake Griffin, I agree. Like, they've looked very good at times with Blake Griffin on the court. But eventually it catches up to you that, like, your fifth guy just isn't super. And it doesn't <laughs> really doesn't really try to do too much, doesn't really bring too much to the table at this point offensively. Um and so I think that matters. I also think a lot of it is just like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and Marcus Smart have to play good basketball all the time. And the way that they've played this year um, with all the player movement, like it's it's really tough to guard them when they're doing the right things, when they're doing the things that they've normally done. And it just felt like toward the end of this road trip, starting with Golden State, I guess the whole road trip, really, like the Brooklyn game, parts of the Raptors game, uh, definitely the Golden State game, definitely the the every every game but Phoenix, basically. Um, they didn't really do that, and so so those guys needed to to bring back their their offense, um, and they did for most of the first half. Then they went away from it. And then the last four minutes, like there was a different pace. There was a different urgency. There was a different vibrancy to them. And and that's that's what they need. That was a really, really impressive comeback after an extremely, extremely bad collapse. It, it was like if, if they had somehow won the Chicago game last year when they were up 14 and lost by 14. Like if they had done that and then just won. It was that. It was that big a swing. Like the game and, that caused Marcus Smart to be like, ah, oh, these fucking idiots out around me. 
it's like it was an impressive comeback in the, in those final three minutes. Um, you have to also note that the Lakers just like completely ran out of gas. Um, I'm looking at the fourth quarter box score right now. All five guys on the Lakers, they played all 12 minutes. It was just uh, Westbrook, James Davis, Austin Reeves, and Troy Brown Jr. Not a heavy hitter lineup, I would say, which is uh, much of the Lakers' issue, but they just felt gassed late. Um, Anthony Davis missed those two free throws uh, right before Jason Tatum. Yeah, those were two big uh, free throws. Two big free throws. Uh, Luke Cornett. Play uh played the final three thirty eight was a plus eight in those uh short time. I think that was an interest like just a wrinkle of the game and maybe one of the reasons why the offense slowed down. Um, but no, I I think they, Luke Cornett like once he got in, he really helped them. And they they were playing small before that. They have Grant Williams at center. They're, they're they were just allowing dribble penetration and layups. And Luke Cornett came in. They stuck him on Russell Westbrook sometimes. They, they've they've they, done they, that lately. Like they put the him on Rob John Williams. Wall against the he Clippers. The, yeah, he's the off-ball guy, and just they put Grant Williams on Anthony Davis. I I thought it was like an interesting wrinkle for Missoula to throw in there. Yeah, and and I felt like when Cornett got in there, um, the Lakers' easy opportunities dried up, and that was when the Celtics like turned the game around. I, it wasn't all him because. Everybody made plays. Uh, I don't think he scored during that stretch, but but him just having his size, his presence near the rim, like that mattered. And it, like Missoula said, the two things they do are paint points and transition. And having Luke Cornett in the paint really deterred that. I thought Cornette did a, a very solid job, and there's a reason he's in the game there and in overtime. I think just the matchup of having to deal with Anthony Davis force the Celtics to play um, a little bit bigger and maybe go with Blake for more than you wanted. Um, go with Grant Williams uh, and just it. I didn't get why they were just giving up the switch for Anthony Davis. Like how many easy buckets in this game did Anthony Davis get just because Derek White or Marcus Smart or some other smaller defendant was on him and just really couldn't contest whatsoever. Like the Lakers really should have won this game and it feels like Anthony Davis just ran out of gas because I don't know if the Celtics had an answer or any ability to stop him um especially in the first you know 40 minutes of this game it did feel like like he ran out of gas um like the last three minutes it felt like the entire Lakers team just ran out of gas they left Grant Williams like the the run started Celtics are down 13 and it's kind of, it seems like a meaningless possession at the time, just under four minutes left. Like there's no possible way they can come back, but in transition, Anthony Davis just kind of looked at Grant Williams and Grant Williams is wide open, kind of looked at him, decided he's not going to contest. Grant Williams makes a three. Then Marcus Smart steals the inbounds pass. Uh, I don't even really know what happened because it was, it was just <laughs> it was a so very lazy, in. lazy pass to Russell Westbrook where like no one was really paying attention. Yeah. And so smart dives in and then all of a sudden it's eight points and it's a manageable deficit or somewhat manageable. Um, and that was the first moment when Anthony Davis just kind of decided like, yeah, nah, like hustling ain't for me right now. Um, later on, like Grant got a wide open three after, from Tatum, he missed it, but also like they doubled the ball, left Marcus Smart wide open for three, and he hit it. There was, that just was a lot LeBron. Of when uh, the Lakers that was deep. LeBron being lazy, where it's like he did the uh, like fake screen, and LeBron just like didn't follow Marcus Smart whatsoever, uh, and he had that wide open three. Marcus Smart had a classic Marcus Smart game where during the collapse, he was doing a lot of stuff that was like, oh, yeah, come on, oh, come on. Uh, ridiculous shots taken to the paint. He did remain aggressive, though, and I think Marcus uh, was a big reason why they're playing with so much pace. Um, he took one just absolutely awful three at like with like eight seconds left on the shot clock that was highly contested, but he came up very clutch down the stretch, um, including knocking down that big three where LeBron didn't follow him whatsoever. But classic Marcus Smart performance 
making winning plays, getting that steal, and then knocking down that big shot at the end. And he was the one who delivered that pass to Grant Williams in the corner. Um, I just like he continued, like when he's playing with pace, he's the guy who like is very focused on getting the ball up the floor quickly. And I think that's just like when the Celtics are playing that their best. Yeah. And then Tatum just had a huge shot to force the overtime. That was, that was impressive. Because that was just like LeBron's guarding him. And he just decided, I'm going to get into my move quickly. I'm going to create some space. And I'm going to score over one of the best players who ever played basketball. And he kind of he kind of went out LeBron and probably says something about um, how LeBron has lost a step or two. But I think it also says something about Tatum that he was like, even when LeBron was on him, he just went at him a um, number of times during the game. He was able to take advantage of that matchup against LeBron, um, which is pretty impressive. And then just kind of a – I still can't believe that game happened the way it did. Just utterly insane. I was watching it like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> they really lost all ability to play basketball. It was going to be a terrible loss. Like if they had lost that to lose three in a row – after how poorly they looked against the Warriors, after they followed that up with another dud against the Clippers, and then to blow a 20-point lead, like, that would have been ugly. Um, but instead, it's like a feel-good win at the end of a road trip. So, Thus proving my point that this win matters a little bit more than a normal regular season win because now it's a 4-2 and two road trip where they didn't have uh, Horford or Rob Williams. It's just uh, an impressive performance for the Celtics. And now they have a seven game, like you talk about six game uh, road trips being rare, seven game homestands that last more than two weeks are also rare. And the Celtics have been phenomenal at home this year. I don't think they've lost a home game in regulation like that. They're setting themselves up against a rather easily scheduled to, to kind of pile on some wins. Uh, and it feels like they're in a, a good position right now, as long as they, um, you know, keep building the sandcastle. Jason Tatum mentioned that, like, uh, in the Clippers game, Missoula told me to, uh, he played like shit and that it's his responsibility to play. And I think I saw Missoula after the game uh, in one of those clips the Celtics point out, like, put out just pointing to Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, and uh, Jason Tatum and just be like, when you guys play with energy, the rest of the team follows, and it's your responsibility to do that every single night. And... I think we're seeing that like the Celtics have been amazing, but they still need to kind of have that consistency every single night if they're going to like kind of continue to win at this pace. Um, and that comes from those three players. And I think it largely comes from Jason Tatum. Like it's really tough uh, if he has a low energy game for the Celtics to recover from that. And that's also another sign that the messaging that coaches give to the media is also is often not what they're saying in the locker room. Like a, after the Clippers loss, Missoula to the media was just kind of like, "Yeah, you know, it's a long season. We're gonna have nights like this. Uh, you can't overreact to stuff like this." <laughs> and then in the locker room, he's like, "Jason Tatum, you fucking asshole! You've been dog shit. You, Jalen, and Marcus haven't been good enough. We need you to lead the other guys." Like like with a lot of urgency to it from the sounds of it. Um, and just, and just another sign of how different he is from Ime with his public messaging, like Joe Missoula is never going to share uh, like his real thoughts. He's always going to be subdued, guarded, whatever word you want to say, but in the locker room, he can, he's got that dog in him sometimes. And uh, he let the guys know it. And they they were bad against Golden State. They were bad against the Clippers. And uh, they were bad for parts of the Lakers game. So I'm not sure that that's a great sign that they didn't really follow through for the entire game on his message. But they did find it just in time to have a ridiculously miracle comeback. Um, they had like a what was it, a 0.6% chance of winning that game after they fell behind by 13? 
Yeah, uh, the Lakers, the win probability of the game, I think, shifted from 99% Celtics to 99% Lakers, uh, which is absolutely wild. Uh, I got to be honest, Jay, I had a final uh, on Tuesday, so I didn't watch a second of the Clippers game. Can you give us and the, maybe the listener gods out there who had not watched the Clippers game, what did I miss? What What's the story? Well, give me three to five bullet points from the Clippers game. Uh, nothing great, more poor offense, uh, just kind of didn't have it. And Jason Tatum, I felt like was one of the culprits there. This was probably the first time he's had like two duds in a row with the Warriors and Clippers games. And that's probably the reason Missoula went at him a little bit, uh, just because, you know, you can't have your best player throwing up dud after dud um, in, like, you need him to carry you on a road trip when you're tired. And and that's part of being an MVP candidate or in that conversation is, like, you have to be there every day. And if you're not, your team is going to really, really, uh, you know, you're really going to have a lot of problems. And so I thought just the the way he played after the Warriors game to follow that up with another dud in LA, like just not, not great. Um, but he, he, he listened to the message. He heard the message. He, he, he was, he came he out was really good against the Lakers. And he was aggressive. Like he was like, might've been in a shooting slump, but like he took 29 shots against the Lakers and he came out early and was shooting and was scoring early. Um, I thought he just had a, a mindset of like, I need to score uh, for us to win this basketball game. We haven't talked score, about- but just be aggressive. Like it didn't feel like he was aggressive enough getting to the rim, um, doing all that other stuff in the golden state game. Like he didn't put his imprint on those games enough. He did against LA. Uh, we haven't even mentioned Jalen Brown, who uh, had another uh, impressive performance. Is just a professional scorer at this point. Kind of surprising, but it felt like he had uh, more than twenty-five points. But with his like escape triples, fifteen rebounds, fifteen, 15 rebounds. rebounds, and his just like fadeaway jumpers he hit. They're just I can remember three just like looked like incredibly difficult shots, um, but he knocked him in, knocked down some big threes as well. He's just been pretty reliable this year. It's just a, a guy who can go and get points in his. Um, he was part of the problem with the kind of maybe some of the sloppier turnovers there in, in that collapse. But I thought he was big and uh, just an impressive performance from him. I fifteen rebounds is insane. I don't I I don't know where that came from. Was he just especially crashing back on the defensive glass. Uh, that has to be a career high for him. Yeah, it was a career high. Uh, and like you said, the some of the fadeaways he hit and his ability to like create separation by dribbling away from the basket and then just like launching himself in the air away from the basket and still being able to shoot ridiculously high percentages from the mid-range it's it's kind of wild like he really he'll run he'll take like two dribbles totally away from the basket be going hard turn around and still be floating away from the basket in midair and shoot shots at a ridiculously high level his his field goal percent between 10 and 16 feet this year is 64.7 his field goal percent what? from 16 feet to the three-point arc is 51.9%. Like, it's just ridiculous. And on some of them, he even has teammates open sometimes, like at the three-point arc. And sometimes I, I've I've looked at it and been like, Jalen should pass that. And then he launches himself into like, like some body contorting, like seven-feet fade jumper and makes him. And it's like, yeah, maybe he shouldn't have passed it. Maybe he's just totally automatic on those insanely difficult shots. Um, but yeah, like his mid-range mastery, I don't think it's sustainable. <laughs> but if it is sustainable, like that is a supreme weapon 
that maybe not sixty-seven percent or or is that sixty-four point seven on ten to sixteen feet, which is crazy. Like maybe that's not sustainable, but he's clearly established like that. That is a a shot he can make, and it's not a bad shot for him because he's just in his bag there, and his like body control when he's jumping up or backwards is uh, insane to be able to keep that balance. Uh, just absolutely wild from from Jalen Brown. I'm seeing some comments, some discourse on the internet. Uh, some folks are complaining about the play of Malcolm Brogdon. He did not have a good game against the Lakers. He was minus 12 when uh, everyone else was seemingly in the positive. Um, but he has like decent scoring on this road trip. A couple of uh, bad, I guess he had four turnovers against the Clippers. What do you think of Brogdon's performance um, so far and, and kind of over the last, uh, I guess, on this road trip? Because I agree, I he hasn't really stood out. He did have that one game where he knocked down a bunch of threes for uh, the Celtics and kind of kept them in, or I guess in the, the early of that uh, Golden State game, he was the only reason they had any offense. But um, I feel like earlier in the year, he had some like really, really strong performances where he was like clearly six man of the year and he's bolstering everything. But now I feel like he's kind of faded away and it's unclear who's more valuable right now. Um, him or Derek White. And I would lean towards Derek White being uh, kind of just more of a consistent player for the Celtics than Brogdon is. Okay, let, let, let's go on the road trip. Phoenix, 16.7 for nine shooting. Two for I thought the road trip three. started in Brooklyn, bro. Golden State, 16 points, six for 10 shooting. Kept them in it in the first half with a spurt of offense when they had nothing else. Clippers game, 18 points, 6 of 12 shooting, 6 assists. <laughs> like, what do people want from this guy? He had. They're talking about the eye test, Jay. None of your nerdy analytics that you're always these, these trying to trump up. Analytic. These are just, literally just his, his traditional stat line. Um, fine, Brooklyn, 13 points, 4 of 10 shooting, 2 for 4 from behind the arc. Tell me like, how, he made, how his play made you feel, Jay. I'm sick of all these numbers. Uh, he's, a, he's a backup guard who's clearly at least one of the best backup guards in the league, if not the best backup guard in the league. Um, like, I don't think there's, there's much more to it than that. He's, he's very good. <laughs> very good at basketball, but their whole offense wasn't operating at the same level. Um, and he probably, uh, either contributed to that or, um, just was, was impacted by that at times, but like to to say that Malcolm Brogdon is is like dipping and having tough tough stretches, like I I don't really see that. The guy shot fifty percent or better from three in five of the six games or four of the five games he played on the road trip. He shot fifty percent or better in three of the five games he played, including a seven for nine outing. Like. I don't know who who you're listening to on the interwebs, but but Malcolm Brogdon is good at basketball. You got me, Jay. I was trying. I was uh, took an old uh, trick from my old sports talk radio days, and I drummed up a fake controversy just to you know get some stuff to talk about on the podcast. Did no. you really? Was there anyone? Hating no, I, on I Malcolm have Brogdon? seen. I have seen some people hating on Malcolm Brogdon, um, but not. I can't remember who it was or if they were like relevant people. Um, and, but I just used like one or two tweets to be like, yeah, the, all of Celtics Twitter is talking about how bad Malcolm Brogdon is. And so it was, um, you went full sports radio. I don't like that. I don't like that. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. 
You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day, or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service that you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Well, you know else who uh, they do on Sports Talk Radio is they go to the calls. And so maybe we'll go to the calls and engage some more Sports Talk Radio with Celebrity Caller. Joshua B. Joshua B. Come on down. Joshua. Here I am, guys. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I wanted to say that Jay King's analysis about Luke Cornett was spot on earlier. Um, Thank you, and, sir. Yeah, it, it turns out that Luke Cornett, fully fresh and fully healthy, is better than Anthony Davis. Um, who <laughs> doesn't doesn't have, and has been playing the entire game? It turns out that's true. I'll tell you something else that I noticed: Anthony Davis and Nick Claxton must have the same free throw trainer. Whoever's teaching Anthony Davis must be also teaching Nick Claxton, um, because those two can't make free throws in critical moments to save their lives. Um, I've seen the Anthony Davis free throw show before. Anybody else who watches Laker games has seen the same show before. And I knew that if it came down to late free throws, that Anthony Davis would brick them. And so that should give the Celtics some confidence. I'll tell you something else that should give the Celtics He's confidence. shooting 82.4% from the free throw line this season. I just want to point that out. He did miss a big one against Philly, though, before the two misses against the Celtics. He also missed a couple against Indiana while we're on that subject. Um, but, Get him, Jock. Get him. But that's not – that's not really the point of, of, of this. The point isn't really to criticize the Lakers. The point is to tell the rest of the league that you're going to need to like continue to keep Al Horford's wife having babies and Rob Williams injured because you guys stand no chance at beating us at full strength. Like are the reasons that we've lost in the past, like these, these are like extreme situations. If you chalk up the miles on this road trip, you go from Brooklyn to Canada to Los Angeles, I mean, to excuse me, to Phoenix, to Golden State, to Los Angeles. You're away, like, for 11 days. Like, that's nuts overall. And, like, you're without both your top big men. People are sitting down, you know, taking nights off. And, yeah, you get motivated to end this trip, on a, to end this road trip on a 4-2 and two homestand. Yeah, the rest of the league needs to be, like, terrified of, of what the Celtics are bringing to the table. The, the question, though, that I have, that I like to end things with, is you did convince me of something you were saying in the preseason um, at the end of this road trip, Jay, which is that maybe we need to trade for another big. Maybe somebody who is just a little more um, a little more of an intimidating presence. I know you threw out the name Jakob Pertl. Do the Celtics feel the same way? And if so, who could be some targets for, for the Celtics to go after that third big man? And thanks, guys. Another good call from Josh B. He's just really working on his game. He's consistent. He's consistent. I mean, he he might be the leading candidate for the George Mikan Award. Most improved player. <laughs> Most improved. <laughs> the newly named George Mikan Award. Uh, regarding the, the big man stuff, like I do think Luke Cornette has been good most of the season. He's been serviceable. He, the Celtics have a way to play with him on the court. Uh, he's been at least adequate almost every game he's played. Uh, the the thing to me is just like, is he going to be good enough on those nights when you don't have Rob or you don't have Al if a night like that comes during the playoffs? And that's it. Uh, and I don't know. I don't know. I think some matchups he are better for him than others. But like if if he had to play in a final series against the Warriors, how bad would that be? And I don't really I mean, know the pretty, answer. Pretty pretty bad, but who are you, who are you bringing bad. in? 
who are you bringing in that's like final series against the Warriors ready right now that you can get for what Peyton Pritchard and some second round picks? Like what what players available that is going to back up Al Horford and Rob Williams when they're both healthy, but then is also ready to play in the finals if they happen to not be healthy. Yeah. I mean, that's a very good question. Uh, those guys are not super available most of the time for what the Celtics will be offering. So yeah, maybe you just go in and hope Cornette is good enough and hope more, more hopefully that Al Horford and Robert Williams will just both be healthy. And both stay out of foul trouble. But yeah, I think it's very important to like bring back Rob Williams slowly um, and to make sure that he's fully healthy, uh, as healthy as possible heading to the playoffs. But it's also because you're bringing him back slowly, it's very hard to make a determination on like how much center depth you're going to need uh, because I'm sure the plan is for him to be, you know, as healthy as possible, but you just don't know what that's going to look like. Um, and I don't know if you're going to know that before necessarily the trade deadline. Um, what a bunch of ballyhoo it was that he was going to... I, I got... Oh, go ahead with the ballyhoo. Yeah, that was that was poppycock. The ballyhoo is like, oh, Rob Williams is day-to-day. He wouldn't be on this road trip if he was, uh, wasn't intending to try and play. There is no chance Robert Williams was going to play on this road trip. I, I don't think he plays... Maybe he gets like one or two games in before Christmas, but like I would be shocked if he uh, is on the court anytime soon. I mean, Christmas is in a week and a half, so if he's going to play one or two games before Christmas, he'll be on the court sometime soon. That, Jay, is what we like to call in the legal business a good argument. Well done. Yeah, so one stat that I just looked up because I've felt like the Celtics with Grant Williams at center have not defended well this year. I just looked up their defensive numbers with him at center, um, according to cleaning the glasses position estimates. They have given up 119.1 points per 100 possessions defensively with Grant Williams at center. That's That's not good. That's bad. Um, And in the past, lineups with him at center have been good. I think in the past, they've played more size around him when those lineups were good. They don't really have the benefit of doing that right now. Like when he's at center, they are usually playing like two point guards, like probably Brogdon and Smart or Smart and White with maybe Tatum and Brown. And that's just like a small lineup pretty much everywhere except maybe small forward. Uh, So... That's been a problem, and that that's another part of the reason why maybe you look at bringing in a backup big, uh, just because the the we thought that Grant Williams at center could be like a a legitimate answer for when they need it, and maybe it will be, um, but it hasn't been so far, and. And I don't. I honestly don't know. Maybe that's partly because they haven't really locked in as a defense all the time. Uh, partly because who knows? But but those numbers are pretty bleak. And uh, and you know maybe it's like you go out and look for another power forward. Although Sam Hauser's been pretty good. He he's hit a shooting slump recently, but like he's been pretty good. So I don't know. I don't think they don't need to do much. Um, Robert Robert Williams will be a, a very good midseason acquisition if he does come back healthy and soon or soonish, according to Sam Packard. <laughs> uh, Definitely but, just not against Orlando, but he might be back after that. But yeah, the the Grant Williams at center minutes, and that was that was how things part of the stretch when things went wrong against the Lakers was him at center and them switching a lot and or them not switching sometimes uh, and just getting roasted. Off the dribble. Roasted. Yeah, I mean, I don't... It's clearly not a long-term solution, but they are without their two best starting centers right now. And so you imagine Horford's going to come back after the birth of his child, and then uh, you get... You just kind of get... He's got a lot of children now. Many children. Yeah, he's known... He's a known father. uh, And, um, yeah, keeps having kids. Got a full collection of them, thanks. Definitely. 
All right, let's go to Quaz A. Quaz A. I don't know how to pronounce that, but uh, Quaz. Hi, right, can you hear me okay? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah. Oh, all right, thanks. Um, I was curious, like, uh, and, and again, I think the only reason that this is so distressing is because you can see, like, when they all play the right way, this team is beyond any other team in, in the NBA easily. Um, but but if I don't know if it's like disinterest or if it's uh, like I don't know, just just exhaustion. But but if all three like the Smart Brown and Tatum aren't aren't all on the same page, then things things get bad pretty fast. Have you ever seen this before? Like maybe another team that had a, almost like this bipolar offense where sometimes it was just like beyond everyone else, and then at other times it would just completely shut off. No, I- I'm going to fight back against this one a little bit because it feels like the Celtics offense shuts off just because they are held to an extremely high standard that they set for themselves. They have one of the best offenses in NBA history. I think right now they're ranked second in NBA history for offensive efficiency. And so it's not like they're shutting off regularly. Um, They, for the most part, have been humming, have had a great rhythm have hit guys for open threes and shared the ball and cut and worked hard to get great shots, all of that. Uh, This road trip was not a perfect offense for them. And I think that's partly why Missoula appreciated the win against the Lakers is because their offense was bad for a while and they did need to like bring themselves back to life after such a bad stretch. And he said that one thing, he said they don't want to th- think that you can only win one way. And for a while, that was how they were winning. It was just like they were going to outscore teams. They were going to score a ton of points. They were going to build a, at least a semi-comfortable lead. And then they were just going to keep it. <laughs> like that was, They were just decimating teams with their offense. Um, and so he liked that they had to find another way to win when their offense wasn't humming like that. But I, I honestly don't think it's been like a Jekyll and Hyde offense. I think for the most part, it's been extremely good and extremely effective. And over the last five games or so, they've had a few ruts, but like that's that's what should probably be expected, not just absolute historical dominance all the time. Yeah, they've, they've created a, a wild set of expectations for themselves because they have been historically good. They are no longer the best offense in the history of the league. I think they fell behind the nets of last year. But I literally just said that. Thanks for listening, bro. Oh, sorry. I was watching the World Cup. France is up one nothing. Um I think the thing is that their <laughs> offense, the style of... You threw me there for a little bit. Uh, the style of offense they play, it feels like it takes a lot of... It's not just like a, a physical effort, although like when they are playing well, it's a lot of cutting, it's a lot of passing, it's a lot of ball movement. But I think there's just like a mental effort to like to play in that style of basketball. Like they have to all be on the same page. And um, it's not just like a natural flow of the game where it's like they have to be high intensity cutting, um, setting off ball screens, movement. Uh, and I, I think it when it's working, it's clearly been, um, fantastic. Um, although they're not the historically the best offense in the league anymore. I think they, um, <laughs> fell to second, <laughs> but I do hey. think that like it's a higher propensity, like when they're bad or when they're not on the game, because it's looked so good, like when they're not fully firing at a hundred percent, it's going to look even worse. With that being said, it was like really, really bad against the Lakers in that in that uh, collapse that I just, like don't think is a a normal like oh these guys are having an off night. I think that was just like a really bad like fourteen minutes of basketball that's just not it's much more of an aberration than like the norm of these guys having an off night. And it was pretty pretty bad throughout the road trip. Um, they scored one hundred eight point one points for one hundred possessions during the road trip, which would rank twenty ninth in the league for the full season. So it definitely wasn't their best outing on the road trip at all. Um, but but I, I do think that'll happen, especially like they're missing their front court. And, and a lot of the time that hasn't mattered. 
they've been able to function at a high level without those guys. But when you're missing not just Robert Williams, but also Al Horford, and that causes you to play either Blake Griffin or Luke Cornett most of the time, like you're just not going to have as many threats out there. It's just you're going to suffer. And and I think they, they did suffer from that throughout the road trip. Um, and you could see like they needed – they needed a little bit more. And then just Tatum, Tatum wasn't great. And Tatum being great is part of the reason why they're great. And they they just need him to operate at a higher level than he did for parts of the road trip. Strong concur. Um, that's all the observations I have other than the fact that um, is Patrick Beverly, uh, is he dead? Is he, what what's going on with, uh, he missed some wide open shots, including layups yesterday. Uh, he he missed one just, like real bunny, like real like just wide open layup, no one there whatsoever. Um, Dennis Schroeder still exists. I completely forgot about him, but he played tw- uh, nearly twenty minutes last night. They ran out of lineup of Beverly Schroeder and Russell Westbrook at one point. I think the Celtics. That's exactly when they built their lead to nineteen. But um, yeah, I don't imp- think that that group is one that's going to be too successful. I don't think so either. Call me crazy. Uh, Call me crazy. But I don't think the Schroeder, Beverly, Westbrook trio is is going to be a, a world beater for the Lakers. I think the best thing that uh, might have happened for the Celtics is that Russell Westbrook hit his first two shots in overtime because um, it gave him some uh, some confidence to, to continue shooting. Uh, and actually, he scored six of the Lakers' eight points in overtime, but he also took six shots and including missing two threes. Um, that's the only other uh, uh, junk I have for the game. Other that's than your junk, that's your I, junk. I, Russell, it was Westbrook up late. I wasn't taking notes. What's your junk? <laughs> Russell Westbrook didn't shoot well. Like that's your fucking junk. No, that's the, the junk was that junk. him that him hitting his first two shots made him give him confidence. To shoot the Lakers out of the game. That was my junk. That's you know, other most... junk is that it was like those uh the announcers look real goofy wearing backwards jersey courtside. That see, was kind of absurd. See, now you're just getting mean. You weren't even planning to share that junk. And then then I, I yeah, because you, you were you just the turned hostile. You yeah, I'm responding. You're not, you're not mad at the Hostility to hostility. You're not mad at the announcers, you're mad at me. I am mad at you. Although I, I did enjoy the uh <laughs> Was it Chris Haynes who was like, yeah, I'm not wearing a jersey because my Kenny Smith jersey didn't show up in time. <laughs> I enjoyed that. Uh, like, go to Dick's or something, man. Like, you don't have to wait for, for your Amazon order or whatever. Like, just just go grab a jersey somewhere. Go to go to the closest lids. They got jerseys, right? Um, I feel like they mostly have lids, but they... Uh... I don't know. Today is NBA Jersey Day. Jay, are you wearing an NBA jersey right now? No, I'm actually wearing a Josh Gordon jersey. A Josh Gordon Patriots jersey? Signed. Yes. Did he he played for like uh, six weeks? It was a beautiful six weeks. Actually, it was a disgusting six weeks during <laughs> which everything fell apart for the Patriots and potentially led to the end of Tom Brady's New England tenure. But I'm so glad you have a, a memento to, to capture that occasion. You can always remember it. So I wanted to buy a Patriots jersey a few years ago. And uh, this it's like a legit authentic jersey. And it was the cheapest that I could find. And it's signed. So I went with it. I've I'm only ever had, uh, I've only had two Patriots jerseys in my life. Do you think you can guess the two players? Willie McGinnis. No. Teddy Bruschi. Nope. Both offensive players. Both uh, uh, skill position. Clock killing Corey Dillon? Nope. I'm more of a flash guy. I like the flashiness. Randy Moss? No, but I should have had a Randy Moss. That was actually the first jersey I ever owned was a Randy Moss Vikings jersey. Uh, Terry Glenn. Yeah, buddy. I was a huge Terry Glenn fan back in 96. Man, uh, who else? Another offensive player? Yes. Another flash guy? Uh, Some would say too flashy. 
Some would say feloniously flashy. Some would Fol- say homicidally flashy. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Yeah. Pre, pre-crime, I was a huge Aaron Hernandez fan. Um, so those were my two jerseys, At Terry least Glenn bought and it before Aaron the Hernandez. Crime. There were a lot of people who bought it after the crime, right? Yeah, and I've seen uh, some some stuff on Twitter where people still wear Aaron Hernandez jerseys to Patriots games, which is just a wild move, uh, just an insane thing to do. I picked him up in fantasy that that year after he got arrested, because because my team was so bad that it was it was my waving the white flag. Like I, I dropped, I dropped a player to pick up Aaron Hernandez. That's um, a sad state of affairs for your kind of a weird bird. move, but but it was my way of waving the the white flag, letting everyone know I was I was devastated with my squad. They just let everyone know you were done, just like we are done with this podcast. Unless you, the king of junk, the king of observational comedy, have anything else from the last uh, two days of Celtics basketball. I wouldn't call myself the king of observational comedy. I, you call I would, yourself the king of a lot of things, but I would not say comedy? That, that you're supposed to be, and and you fucked up. You came with the most disappointing junk that's ever been junked. I'm not even sure you wrote junk notes. You were just coming I, up with I, junk I, off I, the top of your head. Russell Westbrook made a couple of shots. Like what the fuck? I also just, mentioned Patrick Beverly. Patrick Beverly smoked a couple bunnies like that. That's your junk. That's your junk. Just yeah. embarrassing. You know what? It's uh, I'm not going to make excuses, but if I were to make an excuse, I would say that I'm in the middle of uh, finals right now. And so I didn't, I didn't bring my a game in terms of watching and taking notes on junk uh, as I should have. And that's, that's not an excuse. It's an explanation um, but you're right. That's on me. I will be better. Uh, I have a seven game homestand coming up uh, and I'll a note. I'll give notes on every single Jumbotron segment they have over that seven games. What kind of lawyer are you going to be if if you can't even come up with a little junk drawer? I mean, I'm pretty sure I nailed my Crim Pro final. So I, I think I prioritize things correctly. And I don't know what lawyer position you need to uh, offer useless observations about television in order to do the job successfully. Would you rather get an A on your Crim Pro final or be an online legend forever for having elite junk drawers every night? Uh, A on my Crim Pro final, a thousand times out of a thousand. That's why we're different. (laughs) Yes, that's the yin and yang of this podcast. You and I. You just want to, you're in it for the glory, being a legend. You're a journalist. Me, I'm just a professional sports fan, part-time lawyer. Yeah, well, anything's potable, bro. Anything's potable. Thanks for listening, folks. Catch you later this week with a, a, I'm just going to, we're going to do a pod after the magic game. It's going to be 45 minutes of junk. I mean, you got to step it up. I'm a All right. All right. See you Friday night then. Anything is potable, folks. Anything is potable.